Well, it's great to be with you at Christ Church in Gilbert, Arizona. We are delighted to be uh, a part of the network uh, with Vertical Church here in St. Paul. And uh, it is an honor for me to be able to be a part of this Sunday. And uh, I have uh, been in pastoral ministry in Wyoming, California, Colorado, Arizona. And it's, um, and it's a joy to be able to be a part of this day with you. And uh, I look around and I just see what God has done in the past five years at Vertical St. Paul. And my heart overflows with gratitude for God's kindness upon you. And we pray for you and we cheer you on from Arizona. And we are praising God for what he is doing here at Vertical Church. So thanks for letting me be a small part of it. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. You're turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. Do you have sto- storytellers in your family? Like, do you have that uncle who you're at that reunion and they say, oh, I've got a story for you. And inside you like cringe because first of all, you've heard the story 25 times. You could tell the story and you know that the story is going to go roughly eight hours. Somewhere in there, a nap has to be taken, meals have to be prepared, and you're a little bit overwhelmed. But then you have other people and they say, I, I want to tell you a story. And it's like everybody just is like, shh, be quiet. You want to hear them tell a story. And my grandfather was one of the latter ones. My grandfather would tell stories and everybody would be like, shh, quiet, quiet. And they wanted to hear what he was saying. We all love good stories. Everybody enjoys good stories. We, we enjoy good storytellers that tell us stories of greatness. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien told generations of the stories of good overcoming evil. There were writers, at least, that I enjoy, like David McCollin, John Meacham, who introduce us to people and moments that turned into great people and great moments. I grew up imbibing on amazing literature right here. If you're a literature major, literature major in university, you're going to just be awed by who I read growing up. Louis L'Amour, John Grisham, and Tom Clancy right there. Those are the greats. That's what I grew up. But I loved them. I love the stories that they told. Still do. I'm not ashamed of it. I love the stories of great courage like Stephen Ambrose's Band of Brothers or the stories of great invention like David McCullough's Wright Brothers or the stories of great leadership like the movie The Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill or stories of the greatness of achievement like Laura Hillenbrand's Boys in the Boat. But there's something we always notice. Truly great stories are never told about what is easy. Nobody wrote a book. Nobody produced a movie about the guy who one time lived a life and everything just went easy. And then he died. They don't write books about those people. They don't make movies about their lives. Those aren't lives that tell the story of greatness. Great stories show how brokenness is overcome, how evil is faced, how hope is discovered, how endurance is demonstrated. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you have faced this week or this past month or you're in a season in your life. Maybe you have faced bitter disappointment. A dream that you've had has come crashing down. Maybe you find yourself in unexplained and unjustified conflict and misunderstanding. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. 
Maybe you or somebody in your family has experienced a diagnosis. Maybe you're, you're facing a circumstances where you literally can't see your way forward. But here's the question. What story is your life telling in the middle of your suffering? Let me narrow that question down. What story about God is your life telling in the middle of suffering? Does it tell the story of a great creator and savior God? The God who is at the very center of the universe? The God who is good and powerful? The God who is worth trusting in every circumstance? The God who is worth worshiping? The God who is worth following? Is that the story your life is telling in the middle of your suffering? Or are you telling the story of a small G God who is wilted, impotent, optional, and somewhat embarrassing. I want you to look at me at with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Would you follow along quietly as I read down through verse 9? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Peter is writing to exiles, refugees. Peter is referring to a specific kind of people who are experiencing suffering because of their faith. They were kicked out of their homeland. They're now living in foreign lands as outsiders, literally as refugees, and they are suffering and experiencing hardships because of their testimony of following Christ. But it's important for us to understand this about the people in 1 Peter and can I just say, it's important for us as we think about and as we pray for those who are suffering persecution because they're followers of Christ today, in addition to the persecution that they were experiencing or are experiencing as followers of Christ, they also are experiencing the normal everyday suffering that comes with just being a human being. And the key phrase here is found in verse 3, blessed that means to eulogize, to tell the good story about somebody. Blessed, tell the good story of who God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is. So, when we look at this, we see that we are being called to tell a story about God. If you were to take this passage and reduce it down into one sentence, I would say it's this. Our lives tell the story of God's greatness when we hope in him even on the hard days. What does it look like for us to hope in God and the, hard, and the hard days? And I think this passage gives us three ways. Would you look at them quickly with me? Number one, when we hope in God, the basis of our confidence is Jesus Christ. You see that in verses three through five? 
Why is Jesus the basis of our confidence on the hard days? And here's the reason why. Because Jesus only, listen, addresses the root cause of all suffering. You're like, Tori, where do you get that? Look, he says, according to his great mercy. The word mercy is a word that refers to the compassionate heart of God for those who are broken, for those who are dirty, for those who are fallen, for those who are sinners. You see, when we talk about mercy, we are talking about how God is dealing with the root of all pain, of all suffering, of all heartache, because the root of all pain and all suffering and all heartache is sin. Unfortunately, Adam was created in a perfect environment to walk with God, to glorify God, and to steward his life, as, uh, to, to steward all things as an act of worship to God. But there came a point where Adam said, mm, I got a better idea. So Adam deviated from the creator's original design, and he went on his own direction, outside of the design and purposes and plan of the creator. And that does not work. Just like when you take your rental car in Colorado and go four-wheeling in the mountains, it doesn't work. It's outside of the parameters of the original, it's fun to try, but it's outside of the parameters of the original designer for that little two-door hatchback. I know, I've tried it. And so there is brokenness. When we see this brokenness in our life, we see that, that this, this sin has brought a curse and that curse has resulted in death. This means that death rules all earthly hopes. We want, we want hope that is healthy. But that's not lasting hope. It will disappoint because someday we all lose our health. We want hope that is successful, but that's not lasting hope. It will disappoint because someday either the definition of success will change or somebody will be more successful than you. We want hope that life will be easy. But that's not lasting hope. It will disappoint because all life will have hard chapters. Listen, this world is broken by sin and we are people broken by sin and we desperately need hope that will last. Our current condition is described in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 where it says that we are having no hope without God in the world. But the Bible says, according to his great mercy... What has happened? He has caused us to be born again. First of all, he brings the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit to come into our sin-cursed, sin-enslaved souls. And there the Holy Spirit turns the light bulb on spiritually. And suddenly we see, we see our sin for all of its reality. We see God for all of his glory. And we see Jesus for all of his hope. And he gives to us, he causes us to be born again. And this hope that he gives is not just for a moment. It's not just something that lasts through a service or a concert or a weekend or a retreat. It is, notice what he says, it is a living hope. And that living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, our hope is living because he lives. 
and our hope will be living as long as he is living and he will live for eternity so our hope can be an eternal hope. When we see this, we see that it's not only a hope that is unending, but it's been preserved for us. Do you see there? It says, to an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. My goodness, I had never, I had, I, it's been a long time since I've seen rust. I was riding in my Uber last night and we went past a fairly new car. Part of it was missing. I was like, I forgot about that. Like, you guys have this real thing of rust or parts of the car. Where does that go, by the way? Does it fall out? Like, I don't know where that goes. But it's, that, that car is slowly fading. I hope they stop driving before it fully fades away. There, there's a depreciation that is happening with vehicles here in the north. We have the same thing. It just gets baked in the sun. The fade, the, the paint fades. The, the windows fade. Plastic cracks Things deteriorate, tires rot, the sun just cooks the life out of a vehicle. But our faith is being preserved. It is kept for us by God's power. You see that in verse five? Who by God's power are being guarded through what? Through faith. He's protecting our faith for salvation, ready to be reserved in the last time. Listen, real hope must be hope in every circumstance for it to be real hope. Real hope must be hope in every circumstance for it to be real hope. If your hope is only hope when you have good health, then you don't have hope. If your hope is only hope when you're accepted by others, then you don't have real hope. If your hope is only hope when you're succeeding at work, then you don't have real hope. You have circumstantial hope. And Peter is telling us here that in Jesus, we have hope that transcends all circumstances. And how is that being kept? It is being kept by our faith. He is preserving our faith. It will be revealed in the last time. Ultimately, earthly hope is not really our hope because every earthly hope will ultimately disappoint. Every earthly hope has only, get this, has only one purpose. Every earthly hope does not exist to give us hope. Every earthly hope exists to be a signpost that points us to the one who gives us hope. The love that my wife Kimberly has for me is not my actual hope, although I love it. The love that my wife Kimberly has for me is a signpost hope, and it points me to the unchanging, eternal, undeserved love that God has for me. The, the health that I may experience in this moment is not my hope. The health that I enjoy this moment, I should thank God for. It is a grace from God as a signpost that tells me to number my days so that I can attain unto wisdom and use my life for that which counts forever. The money that I have is not hope. The money that I have is simply a signpost that tells me that I must rely upon the one who is the provider and the sustainer of all that I have. Study the book of Colossians. They're all signpost hope. 
We must make Jesus the exclusive base of our, of our hope. And if you've been struggling with whether to, whether to trust Jesus Christ as your only hope, I hope today you will see him as glorious and as beautiful. And you will turn from trusting anything else and turn to Jesus Christ alone and make him the only answer for your eternal hope. And you can do that today. Did you notice there's a second reality about how we share the greatness of God even in dark days, and it is this. When we hope in God, the response to our trials is joy. Now, this is counterintuitive, but track with me if you would in verse six. In this, you rejoice. Now, that sounds very strange at first glance, doesn't it? And I want to clarify two common mistakes about this passage. Number one, this is not telling us to rejoice that we have suffering. Okay, that's a little bit weird. Man, alive, just sort of like, man, I got a really bad diagnosis from the doctor. That's awesome. My friend of decades just turned their back on me and walked away and said they'll have nothing to do with me. Oh, what a great day. My boss just fired me and said I'm the most incompetent person he's ever met in his life. Wow, this is amazing. No. I don't know what that is, but that's really weird, and that's not what Peter is talking about at all. So we set that one aside, okay? There's another weird one, and that's kind of the mindless, sappy grin that we have as we go through life's difficulties. <laughs> Just kind of going through life with a big grin. It's like, yep, yeah, everything's falling apart. Bad diagnosis. <laughs> My friend left me. My boss says I'm incompetent. We just kind of grin our way through life. That's not what it's talking about either, okay? Look down at verse 6 with me, please. In this, you must, in your interpretation, ask the question, what does this refer to? And the word this is pointing backward to what we just got done talking about. What is that? It is the lasting, certain hope we have because Jesus lives. So, in this, the hope we have in Jesus Christ, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been grieved by various trials. You're going to go through trials, folks. You're going to go through trials. Some of you maybe already have. Some of you are. If you haven't, they will come. There are different types of trials. And the Bible says, if necessary, God is not just a capricious God in heaven going, oh, let me just kind of throw out some trials and let's see where it lands. Kind of like at baseball games when they shoot the t-shirts at us. You know what I'm talking about? Do they do that here? You know, they shoot the t-shirt. They don't know where it's going. God's not in heaven. Like, oh, there goes a trial. Let's see where that lands. Hmm. I'm surprised by that one. Didn't even see that coming. When he brings a trial into your life, it's because as a sovereign God, he is doing a work in your life. It's necessary. And there's various ones. So even if you do, if necessary, for a little while, your trial is not permanent if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, your, your trial is eternal. If you are in Christ, your trial is short-lived. If you're not in Christ, your trial will last forever and ever and ever. So what are we to do? In this you rejoice. So that, verse 7, here's the reason why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes... 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's what's going on. The most precious thing in your life, the Bible says here, is your faith. I don't know what car you drive. I don't know know what neighborhood you live in. I don't know what shoes you own. I don't know what vacations you go on. But the most valuable thing about you is your faith. And God wants your faith to be pure. He wants your faith to be true and real and authentic and enduring. So what does he do? If necessary, he brings in some trials and he tests your faith. And when he does that, it's to strip away all hopes that ultimately are going to hurt you and all hopes that are ultimately going to disappoint you and all hopes that are ultimately going to grieve you so that you are left with one certain thing and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So what are we to do? What we are to do is we are to persist in looking to Jesus. Look to him. Constantly turn our eyes toward him. See who he is, really, as revealed in his word. See who you are in him as revealed in his word. See who he is in you as revealed in his word. See what he has done what he is doing and what he will do as revealed in his word. I flew in last night. It was rainy and cloudy and, and, and I haven't seen clouds for a while. I'm from Arizona. And came in and we descended into the clouds and, and couldn't see anything outside. Just gray, a little turbulent. And in the cockpit, they tell me that the pilot is not up there holding on to the controls, closing eyes, his eyes going, boy, I hope this year works out. They tell me he's not doing that. And I must tell you, I'm very grateful for that. I'm so glad that that's not what the pilot is doing. Instead, the pilot has instruments. And those instruments are giving him different bits of data. And he is taking the data that is coming at him that's telling his airspeed and his altitude and his attitude and his vertical descent and his course. And he is taking all of that data and he is interpreting it so that he knows in a three-dimensional space where he is, where he's going, and where he can land. Even though when he looks outside with his eyes, all he can see is gray. I share that illustration because that's what it's like as a Christian. Your life may right now feel like it is just gray outside. Like you just can't see your way forward. Everything around you seems to be confusing and chaotic, unsettled, uncertain, maybe even painful. So what do you do? First of all, don't do this. Don't judge God based on your circumstances. Instead, go to God's word and get data just like the pilot is getting data from the instruments and take the data from God's word and determine your circumstances based on what you know to be true about your God and navigate your life based upon the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Would you notice now there's a third truth that we are to learn here? When we hope in God, the outcome of our faith is settled verses eight through nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
See, the Bible is telling us in verse 8 that our current journey is a faith journey. We are walking by faith, Paul tells us in Corinthians, not by sight. There will come a day, he tells us in Romans, when we will no longer live by hope, we will live by sight. Isn't that a glorious thing? There's going to come a day where we will see Jesus face to face and we will no longer walk by faith. I see him. I will forever walk seeing him and being in his presence. And I look forward to that day. But until then, he says, even though we have not seen him, we live in a love relationship with Jesus because of what he has done for us and what he is doing for us and what he will do for us. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You're like, well, I, I don't believe in him because I've got some questions and, and I'm not totally sure. Um, God just needs to answer my questions first. Listen, can I share something? I borrowed this from Dr. Wayne Grudem. If, if this circle represented the word of God, everything that he has revealed to us in his word, if this circle represents the word of God and you have questions that are outside of that circle and you're like, I'll trust God, if he would answer some of the questions that he's not answered in his word, there's a problem with that. Get this. God is an infinite being, and you are a finite being. So if God expanded that circle of revelation to include the questions that you currently have, do you know what you would discover? There are more questions outside of the circle, and no matter how big he gets, there will be questions outside of the circle because you are living with the reality. You are finite. He is infinite. He has not called us to hold him in judgment to our judgments. He has called us to take him at his word and to trust him because what he has told us is what we need to know. And then it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So often we think about salvation as being that thing that happened when, you know, that moment you trusted Jesus as Savior. Praise God for that, by the way. Maybe somebody today will trust Jesus as their Savior, and that's a part of your salvation. That's when positionally you go from death to life, from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Praise God for that. That is a part of our salvation. And of course, we're thinking ahead to the day when this life comes to an end, and, and, and we will go into eternity. We're like, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with heaven, uh, with, with Jesus in heaven, and that's the ultimate salvation because I will be removed from the very presence of sin and will be in the presence of my Savior. But we always need to remember there's another dimension of salvation that is currently a reality and it is in the, in the here and now between regeneration and glorification is the season of salvation called sanctification and it is in this time of sanctification as we face day in and day out our brokenness and you're like oh, I'm broken again God I'm just not everything you want me to be the purpose of our season of sanctification is not for us to prove God our sufficiency the purpose of salvation and sanctification is to prove our insufficiency and his sufficiency. So the pattern of living in the season of salvation called sanctification is to constantly turn your eyes to Jesus. Run to Jesus in every circumstance. Run to Jesus when you're abandoned by a friend. Run to Jesus when you get that difficult diagnosis. Run to Jesus when the boss says you're incompetent. Run to Jesus. He is your sufficiency. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to fuel your faith? Run to Jesus in the word. Can I share a personal story to apply this? I didn't say it earlier. I'm a newlywed. 
I've been married four months. My first wife, we were married for 30 years, and in September of 2020, in one split moment in a, in a, in a vehicle accident, uh, she went to be with Jesus. And I was out driving, and I was looking for her. Actually, I told this story to Chris and Alex last night. I was out looking for her. She had gone silent for about two hours, and I was looking for her, and then the ER called, and, and when they told me that she was there but that she was, had not survived, I pulled the car over into the center turning lane in Longmont, Colorado, and I turned the flashers on. I managed to put it in park, and I just staggered across four lanes of traffic to the sidewalk, and I collapsed on the sidewalk weeping and as I laid on that sidewalk weeping because of the loss of my wife of 30 plus years immediately this is not me please take this illustration this is to point vertically not to me I beg of you I'm just sharing with you the kindness of our God as I laid on that sidewalk the Holy Spirit came and impressed upon me this truth absent from the body present with the Lord That's truth. That's truth you live by. That's truth you cling to. That's truth that fuels your soul. Well, I miss her and missed her deeply and continue to miss her. She went from making a left-hand turn on a green arrow and somebody ran a red light to immediately being in the presence of her Savior. She's not even missing me. She's so delighting in Jesus and can't wait until I'm there to delight in him together. And as I've gone over the past two, nearly three years, early on there were those times that our house, which had been full of light and color and life and food and coffee and friends, was now dark and cold and empty. I would sit on the edge of my bed for hours on sleepless nights, fighting to live. And there was only one thing I can do. And I share this to give you instruction. You fight by going to the Word and listening to how the Word tells us the story of Jesus. There were some nights I could read and understand, and there were some nights I couldn't read and understand. But I still knew I couldn't give in to the lies of Satan. I had to fuel my faith. I had to go see Jesus in the Word So I'd turn on podcasts and I would listen to preachers as they would boldly and powerfully tell me about who Jesus is. And I would spend time in the darkness of that night listening to people pound my heart with truths about Jesus from the word because he's our only hope. I made a three and a half hour playlist on Spotify that I could play as loud as I could and I would sing horribly at the top of my lungs as I would cling to the hope, the living hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And I urge you today, in the middle of whatever you're facing or you will face, run to Jesus. He is your hope. And when you do, your life will tell the story of God's greatness, even on hard days. I want to give you three applications as we conclude. The questions, and I prayerfully have been praying yesterday and today that God would use them in their hearts. Number one, what is the basis for your hope? What is the basis for your hope? I'll just tell you, if it's anything other than Jesus, it is ultimately going to disappoint you. Even good things will ultimately disappoint you. 
Make Jesus the basis for your hope and let everything else be viewed as signposts that point your heart to Jesus. Question number two, are you feeding your hope? Like, have you owned your responsibility to be in the word in whatever means you're able to so that you can be hearing what God has said to you about Jesus because he's the hero of this book. That's your responsibility. Are you feeding? Are you finding ways to fuel your soul's hope in Jesus Christ? I urge you to do that. And then thirdly, is your hope telling the story of God's greatness? If all you're doing is complaining about the difficulties, and it's not wrong to complain, they hurt, and it's okay for us to be honest about it. But in our hurting, it's also important for us to also be reminding ourselves and reminding those around us, we have a good God.